Glory to God. This is it, my friends. This is it. The reason for our gathering this morning here is ultimately the reason for all of our gatherings, right? Every week. I'm not talking about April Fool's Day. This isn't a joke today, is it? No ruse. You know, this morning, one thing we know for sure is that we're not here just because of uh, some ancient wise man, some uh, once great flash in the pan, uh, if you will, someone who is uh, now dead to the world and irrelevant to our daily lives, right? Tradition doesn't just tell us that we should worship Jesus. Joke would be on us in this case, right? But we fall on our knees and we call him our Lord and God because he is a living Savior set apart from everyone else. Amen? Amen. All the wise men, all the traditions, all the prophets, all the philosophers, all the other so-called gods of this world. Why? He lives. He lives. Say it out loud with me. Why? Because he lives. he lives. Amen. We know Jesus lives because we've seen him rise from the dead. In the original Greek language of our Bibles, there was a word we talked about a little bit last year. Maybe you remember uh, last Resurrection Sunday. The Greek word for resurrection, the act by which Jesus actually, physically, literally rose out of the grave, the word was anastasis. We know Jesus lives. We know Jesus is who he claims to be because of anastasis. This word comes up several times in our Bibles. In the book of John, chapter 11, for example, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The Greek word, anastasis, I said it about 15 times this week, so I hope it's close to Strong's. Pops back up in 1 Corinthians 15, 12, Revelation 20, verse 5. Do you like this? My wife picked this out for me. She thought it was better than a glass. There are around 40 instances in the original Greek manuscripts of our Bibles in which a variation of anastasis is used. And because of this word, because he lives, we have hope that he is who he has claimed to be. Because of anastasis, we are here this morning. We are the church. And don't get me wrong, everything leading up to the anastasis, to the resurrection of Jesus, was important. But without the resurrection of Jesus, what are we doing here this morning? No matter how good the breakfast was, right? It wouldn't matter in terms of eternity. Paul writes to the church, 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, verse 14, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Do you realize you are here because Jesus rose? That's why you're here. That's why you're the church. C.S. Lewis, 2,000 years later, would write, To preach Christianity meant to the apostles, to Christ's immediate followers, primarily to preach the resurrection. Lewis continues, The resurrection is the central theme in every Christian sermon in the book of Acts. 
The New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. No one before Jesus, no one after Jesus has been able to claim his place and get away with it. Why? Say it again with me. Because he lives. Amen. He's conquered death. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. This is Matthew's account of Resurrection Sunday morning, and verse 1 begins. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. This, of course, being the tomb where Jesus was laid after he was crucified. Verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. <clears throat> there you will see him. See, I have told you. Verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. End of our text. <clears throat> you know, as I read through this account of Christ's resurrection, it's powerful. Hits me every year. I start thinking about the people in this story. I start thinking about Jesus, the ones that followed Jesus, those earliest of Christians, before they were even called Christians. About the events just prior to Christ's resurrection. Think about this a lot this time of year. The way they felt between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Think about the way they felt what was going through their minds. Do you think you'd feel just a little deflated? Do you think you'd feel like your faith was running just a little low? Think about it today in your own lives, in your own walk with Jesus. Do you have times in your life when you feel deflated? Do you have times when your faith is just running a little low, just kind of chugging along? <clears throat> Maybe it's a feeling that creeps in slowly. And then it goes on maybe for days or weeks or months, maybe for years. Do you know what I'm talking about this morning? The train is running low on soul coal. And then praise the Lord, when you least expect it, you get a boost. You're hit with a spiritual renewal of some kind. Bam! It's like God just drops in one day to say, greetings. Has this ever happened to you in your faith? 
Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there in your walk? Maybe God does something extraordinary in real time in your life. If nothing more than reminding you somehow at some point that you're part of his plan on the timeline. He's not just a part of yours. We sometimes get that backwards. Perhaps it just dawns on you one day, Jesus is who he claims to be. After all, I've been there. I've been there in my faith. I'd imagine something similar happened to the faith of Mary and Mary Magdalene and the disciples on this particular weekend, a rough weekend for the faith. Or was it? I would imagine the death of Jesus Christ and his burial would have brought on a world of doubt like no other after all the time his followers had spent following their Messiah in person. I'd be thinking, man, that Friday really wasn't all that good. False advertising. All that time following Jesus, who would expect a crucifixion and a burial, right? If I were a disciple, would I have seen that one coming? Well, the Bible tells us, certainly in the case of Jesus' disciples, no. They didn't see that one, meaning Christ's death and burial coming, because they didn't understand. Jesus told them to expect it, but they didn't understand what he was talking about when he said it was coming. See, it was no surprise to Jesus what was going to happen, that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to rise up again. Jesus told his disciples to expect it. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 31. What does Jesus say? We've got this behind me. Jesus says, The Son of Man is going to be delivered to the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand. But they did not understand the saying. And were afraid to ask him. So Resurrection Sunday morning, the day Jesus said he would rise, his followers, they just weren't, weren't expecting it. Well, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're wondering, well, Jesus said after three days. I mean, I'm not the smartest tool in the shed, but that's only two preacher I can count. And let's remember at this time, if you open up your Bibles and you turn to the first chapter of Genesis... We have an understanding that a day begins with the evening, it ends with the morning. We begin counting beginning on sundown, Thursday, ending Good Friday at sundown for day number one, and so on and so forth. There was evening, there was morning. So the disciples were not expecting Resurrection Monday. They weren't expecting the crucifixion on any day. They were likely a little confused by Good Friday. And you know, they may have even been wondering, would you have been wondering? I think I would have been wondering if Jesus really was who he claimed to be all along. What a low point they would have been at in their faith this weekend. But Jesus knew how they were feeling. Jesus knew. Jesus knew after he was crucified what kind of a great misunderstanding and disbelief was coming on their part. Jesus knew his followers would go from being on cloud nine on Palm Sunday, hallelujah, hallelujah, as he rode into the city triumphantly, to total shock, disbelief on Good Friday at the crucifixion, to feelings of bam, complete abandonment for sure on Saturday. And what did he do to bring them back around? Bam. God dropped by. Look at verse 9 with me. Jesus shows up. Greetings. 
I'm picturing Jesus standing there with greetings, with a big grin on his face as he says it. You know? We never hear about Jesus laughing in Scripture, but I can't imagine this greetings not being accompanied by the world's biggest grin. Ye of little faith. This is my favorite part of our text this morning when God drops in. Here's my second favorite part of Matthew's account of the resurrection story. It shows up in the second part of verse 9. It starts with, and. Read it with me again. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Don't miss this part. Don't miss this part. Because he lives, brothers and sisters, Christ's followers worshipped him. Because he lives. Contrary to what some groups may try to tell you, the disciples didn't just admire him. They didn't just say, great trick, wise teacher. Oh man, what a great guy you are. What an angel. They didn't get out bumper stickers for the donkeys that said coexist. <laughs> Our religion is equal to everyone else's. No, they worshipped him. They worshipped him. They fell at his feet and they worshipped him. And 2,000 years later, fellow Christ followers, we fall at his feet and we worship him. Today, if we didn't get the message loud and clear before, it's important that we understand it now. Jesus proved who he was by what he did. Only the living God could defeat death. We've seen plenty of would-be messiahs who have made plenty of claims about who they were and what they could do. But Jesus backed up his story with action, didn't he? We've had many a Sunday where we, we would sing hallelujah for the cross. Yet we find the reason for our singing at the resurrection. We gather as the church today because God has done something extraordinary in real time. We gather because why? Because he lives. Amen. Let's shout it again. Because why? He lives. He lives. Amen. <clears throat> and brothers and sisters, this makes it eternally important that we proclaim, as these early Christ followers did, to others the fact that Jesus lives as well. When we do so, there's four little words we want to note this morning. Jesus says these to us in verse 10 of our text this morning. And by the way, they're the same four words that the angel tells, uh, tells us in verse 5 of our text. Read these with me in verse 10. Jesus says what? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Jesus says. Good advice for the disciples. Luke 24, 37 uh, tells us they thought they'd seen a ghost. And these four little words, do not be afraid, are words that Christ followers still need to hear today. Do not be afraid. They're words we need to take to heart as we go into the world and witness for a risen Savior. Amen? Because, my friends, we live in a world in which people will tell you that the man we name on the sign out front of this church building, and I'm not referring to Elijah Ferris. The other name. The name on that sign out front, well, that guy was just a, a carbon copy of, of some other religious figures. That Jesus is, is just a myth. 
It's the first day of April every day when it comes to faith matters. There are people that will look at Jesus, the story of Jesus, will laugh at it. They want you to do the same, who want you to laugh or at the very least be fearful of what you read in the word of God. Who want you to think that this talk about the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus is a pack of lies the, the church made up. They want you to run as far as you can from picking up the word of God and reading it at all. And sometimes we'll hear something else along these lines about uh, Jesus. Sometimes people will try to counter the biblical story with some kind of uh, quote unquote historical Jesus story. They'll say something like, okay, I'll give you that this man actually existed. I'll give you he was a wise man who taught a few universal, pragmatic, reasonable principles on the subject of loving one another. But I'm not for a second going to say that he was divine, that he died on a cross for any sins, and I know for a fact that he didn't rise up from any grave. Jesus was at best just a good teacher. This is what they'll try to tell you. You know, like Buddha or Muhammad or Stephen Hawking. <laughs> the late Stephen Hawking, the brilliant Cambridge professor who once said, heaven is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark, was answered by equally brilliant Oxford professor John Lennox, who countered with atheism is a fairy story for those afraid of the light. And I love that. So don't be afraid. Do not be afraid of what the world will try to tell you about Jesus Christ. Christ followers have a bit of an advantage over some other followers. Why is that? It's not, well, it's not because we're better people. It doesn't mean somehow Christ followers have more value. But there is an advantage in the fact that Jesus lives. Jesus lives. And not only that, but Jesus lives. But Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus lives to make intercession for his people. Jesus was and is far more than just another moral or religious teacher. He was and is the great I am. As someone has said, we can look for the living Buddha and not find him. In fact, we can look for Buddhism and not find a whole lot of anything. That's kind of the point. We can look for the living Buddha and not find him. We can look for the living Muhammad and not find him. Stephen Hawking just recently passed away. He's no longer with us. Mary Baker Eddy, founder of the Christian Science Religion, has passed away. She's still dead, and that's quite ironic because she taught that death doesn't exist. And these people are gone, many of them long gone. But Jesus Christ has left behind an empty tomb. An empty tomb. So if we're running on fumes this morning, may we remember that the Christ we follow isn't taking us down a dead-end street. May we keep in mind that Christ is called, 1 Corinthians 15, 20, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep and that we who are Christians and all that we influence to become Christians may be counted among the harvest as well. First fruits, first of a series. We in Christ will know resurrection, will know eternal life. We in Christ 
can fearlessly pass this gospel message on. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You know, the evidence for a risen Savior can't just be easily dismissed this morning. People have done a lot of digging into this over the years. And they come back to the same conclusion. Jesus really did rise up from the grave. <clears throat> the late Lionel LeCou achieved Guinness Book of World Records fame for his legal work. It only consisted of how many consecutive defense murder trial acquittals? 245. 245 consecutive defense murder trial acquittals. That's a guy I want on my side. That's a lot of convinced juries in quite a few courts of law. Sir LeCou spoke of his confidence in the, spreak of, uh, in the strength of the case for the resurrection of Christ when he wrote the following, quote, I have spent more than 42 years as a defense trial lawyer appearing in many parts of the world. I have been fortunate to secure a number of successes in jury trials. He concludes, I see unequivocally the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, leaving absolutely no room for doubt. Well, are you going to argue with a, a guy who's, you know, responsible for 245 consecutive defense murder trial acquittals? Jesus lives. Another testimony uh, worth mentioning this morning is that of Sir William Ramsey. <clears throat> Sir Ramsey spent 15 years poring over uh, New Testament manuscripts. Some 24,000 are in existence today, by the way. That's a lot of manuscripts. Sir Ramsey spent 15 years looking through the available manuscripts for enough evidence to refute the reliability of the New Testament. He wanted to say God is dead. He wanted to say it's all a sham. He wanted to say the church is making a killing from a forgery. And after all that time, he couldn't do it. Sir Ramsey now places the authorship of Scripture to be among the very greatest and most reliable of historical accounts. Jesus lives. Modern archaeologists, many of the same ones that might tell you that, that yes, uh, man and dinosaurs uh, did exist. The, the dinosaurs just didn't survive the flood. I don't know if that's what Christian archaeologists say. That's just something my daddy used to say. But modern archaeologists, uh, Christians such as uh, William Albright, have concluded that, quote, there's no solid basis for dating any book of the New Testament after 8080, despite, of course, claims made by liberal New Testament critics. Do not be afraid of what the world will try to tell you about Jesus. Jesus lives. Some of us here this morning may have been believers of this story for many years. We've heard it year after year after year. <clears throat> Some of us have been following a, a risen Savior for a much shorter period of time. Then there's those of us, <clears throat> I've, I've been in this boat. Some of us who may have just been dragged into church for Easter again. I remember a time in my life where if a preacher said to me, this is the Lord's army, why don't you join the Lord's army some other Sunday besides just Christmas and Easter? I would have probably responded with, because I'm in the secret service. 
Alexa said she'd give me a, a good Easter church attendance joke, but she didn't say it was any good, you know. Can't trust AI these days. <clears throat> but maybe you're sitting here this morning and, and you're still skeptical. You're skeptical about this whole resurrection of Christ thing. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, I'll be honest, guy, I don't care how the story was recorded. How do I know it wasn't faked? I mean, the whole uh, weight of the whole Christ-following world today hangs on whether or not Jesus actually rose from the grave. That's actually a pretty good question, right? Even the Jewish high priest at the time of Christ thought that uh, his followers might try to steal the body, Matthew 27, 64. But when it comes to taking Christ from his grave, forget it. I mentioned this uh, during our Good Friday service the other evening. If, if you weren't here, uh, you missed a really good time. But I'll mention this briefly again. Author uh, Josh McDowell notes that <clears throat> after the body of Christ was covered in 100 pounds of spice body wrapping, he was placed in a solid rock tomb. Two Tons of rock were brought in by a lever system against the tomb entrance. Two tons of rock, they believe. A Roman guard of strictly disciplined fighting men was stationed to guard the entrance. The seal of Rome was placed upon the tomb. If anyone tried to move the stone, they'd have to break the seal. They'd have to face the full wrath of the law. My friends... There ain't no party like a Roman grave robbing party because a Roman grave robbing party don't start. It's not going to happen. They took measures to prevent vandals that would impress a modern church security team. But yet as McDowell continues, three days later, the tomb was empty. The followers of Jesus claimed he had risen from the grave. Jesus appeared to them during a period of 40 days. Paul the Apostle counting his appearance before over 500 people. By the way, these people were still alive. They could confirm what Paul wrote. 500 plus people witnessed the risen Jesus. You may have heard that 50,000 Elvis fans can't be wrong. 500 Jesus witnesses can't be wrong either. 500 eyewitnesses who wouldn't have taken a chance on being burned alive by Nero if the death, burial, and resurrection was a hoax. My favorite part of the story, perhaps, is noted by uh, author Lee Strobel in The Case for Christ on Resurrection Sunday morning. Two eyewitnesses, Mary and Mary Magdalene, the first-hand testimony of Mary and Mary Magdalene, uh, <clears throat> try that again, <clears throat> Mary and Mary Magdalene, the first-hand testimony to the resurrection was significant. Why was it so significant? In the first century Jewish and Roman cultures, they famously regarded testimony given by women as unsubstantial, unimportant, and insignificant. I'm sorry, ladies, that's just the way it was. Lee Strobel notes that perpetrators of a hoax in first-century Judea wouldn't have asked these two to sign off as witnesses to Jesus. The only explanation of Mary and Mary Magdalene as witnesses to the risen Jesus is that they were there. 
Today may be April Fool's Day, but don't be fooled and do not be afraid. Jesus lives. He lives. He's risen. Amen. The sign on the corner out here when you, when you pulled into worship this morning points you to this direction. I love this church by the side of the road. I love this place. We come into this place in this area that Elijah Ferris settled, but we're here because we're the church of Christ. And we're the church of Christ because Christ is the resurrection and the life. Unlike some other gods, unlike some other philosophies, unlike some other whatever, he who we worship is alive. He's working in his church today. From this point forward, the question continues to be, is he whom we worship alive and working within you, my friend? Are you fearlessly part of the number? This morning, the evidence of the resurrection has been presented to you. You can't just say, well, this is all Greek to me. You need to get one of those late night things. Applause, or laughter. Another terrible preacher joke. Christ rose from the grave. One glorious day, 2,000 years ago. One day, my friends, one glorious day, he will rise, you and I, from our graves as well. One glorious day. We're going to go home. Pray with me. Lord, we, we praise your name for who you are. We love you, Lord. We come to you today. We, we fall to our feet. We fall to our knees. We, we call you our Lord and our God. There at creation. There at redemption. And you continue to work in us, through us, through your church, through, you, through your people, the people you love. Lord, we know we, we, we don't deserve your love, your, your grace, and your mercy. Lord, in, in each one of us this morning, we, we need you. We're either in need of you or in, we're, we're in need of more of you. Lord, I, I pray that anyone here that, that may not know you, that may not have been immersed into you, that may not have put on the name Christ as Christian, that they would be compelled to come up out of their tombs as well. Lord, help us work within us. We're in a world that wants us to be afraid. Lord, we know the reality is each one of us will face you. The reality is each one of us at some point will stand before you. 
The reality is at some point, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess you. Lord, work through us that we do it here and now. Work through us that others would see that you are alive within us. Work within your church, Lord. Help us make your name great in this community, in this country that needs you so badly, in this world. For you so loved this world that you gave your son. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, your amazing grace. It is in the name of Jesus I pray these things. Amen.